Well, just over two and a half years ago, right at the beginning of the pandemic, it seemed that the world woke up to the racial discrimination and systemic racism and marginalization that was still very, very alive and active in Western culture. And I think it caused us all to take a step back and ask the question, have we really come far enough where equality and tearing down the walls of racial discrimination are concerned. My guest today is Natasha Sistrunk Robinson. She um, has certainly made it her life's work to change the narrative around uh, racial discrimination and to see racial healing come to America. She is uh, a, a wonderfully uh, educated in biblical studies and seminary student, author, speaker. She is one of those go-to people that has a handle on what the church's response should be and how we can effectively minister the love of Jesus without discrimination, without prejudice, and really see these walls come down. And I have to say for myself, you know, I just personally speaking, uh, because it's just you and I in the room right now, folks, um, you know, when uh, when the whole George Floyd situation came onto the scene and we and we started to really come to terms with the reality of what state of affairs we were actually in and how divisive it was, even within the church, and how we were seeing these different sanctions rise up and we were seeing division come and it was really starting to hurt so many people in the body of Christ not necessarily knowing how to respond. I had to say, I had to ask myself some hard questions. Like, I grew up in the east side of Toronto, which was multicultural to say the least. My school was like United Nations, and I loved it because my dad's a Lebanese immigrant, um, and and many other uh, races and, and ethnicities were represented in my school. There were, um, you know... Uh, Afro-Canadians, there were East Indians, there were Asians of many stripes, there were, you know, Europeans of many stripes, and there was this beautiful sort of a celebration of each other's culture and traditions, but that isn't necessarily the case, you know, everywhere in North America. And I had to come to terms with the fact that even though I may not be a racist, and I, my goodness, I I couldn't say that loud enough. I still had to acknowledge the fact that many of my black Canadian friends were victims, had been treated, uh, you know, um, with discrimination, whether I seen it or not, or whether I was the perpetrator or not. I had to acknowledge that that was very much a reality for them. And so I found myself in this place, some very dear friends of mine, me just picking up the phone and calling them and saying, listen, I, I want you to know, you know my heart, you know there's not a racist bone in my body, but for people that have looked like me, that have done horrible things to you, I apologize. And I want to seek to know and to understand and add my voice to yours so that healing can come, so that systemic racism can be abolished, that this discrimination and prejudice that perhaps you experience on a day-to-day -day basis when you walk into an establishment, when you're driving your car, whatever the case may be, let me add my voice to your, yours to say this has to stop. Because the heart of the Father is for justice and for mercy. And we can't say we're a people of justice and mercy if we are exercising and living out in discriminatory ways. So um, this was just really an eye-opening 
uh, almost a, a, an awakening for me. And so it's certainly made me way more conscious and way more aware of what's going on in the world. But without going any further into my, uh, my story, I think Natasha's going to really shed some incredible insights on this subject. And as I mentioned, she is a force to be reckoned with and has had her own incredible journey of faith that we are going to dive into in her story. And let's go to that now. Although my guest today has a very impressive resume, it's her burning desire to see change in the area of racial healing in America that makes her a force to be reckoned with. Natasha Sistruck-Robinson is an author and highly sought-after speaker with an inspiring story of faith that has not only carried her through some dark times, but continues to inspire her to make a difference. Welcome to 100 Huntley Street, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so good, so good to have you. Can we start at the beginning? Can you tell us a little bit about your personal story coming up on the East Coast of the United States of America? Sure. I was born in a small rural town called Orangeburg, South Carolina, and um, I'm the oldest of three children. And my mother, uh, she married my father who raised me. And so he raised me from the time I was about six years old. Um, my biological father died before then. And so we had a small family a Jesus-loving family, and uh, I think the culture in our community was very influential and impactful as well, uh, surrounded by people of faith, people who are hardworking, uh, mostly blue-collar workers, a lot of, uh, my, my father was a roofing contractor by trade, and then also a lot of what we would call in the United States Black excellence. And so um, one thing that's unique about my small town is that we had two what we call historically black colleges and universities. And that's those were colleges and universities, institutions that were set up um, during the time of segregation so that black students, young black people could have the opportunity to go to college and further their education beyond uh, their primary and secondary schools. And so um, it was just a wonderful uh, experience growing up there, even though um, some of the people didn't have a lot I realized that I was affirmed there. My, my full identity as a Black woman was affirmed in that place. And I had a good foundation that God um, was with me um, wherever I went. And so that was really the beginning of my, my journey. Fabulous. And that's not necessarily the case in other parts of the United States. Can you tell us a little bit, because you went on, you grew up, you decided to go into the military. Uh, you had an illustrious career there. You experienced advancements. You were socially active. You were impactful in that world. As a Black woman in America, was it easy for you? Was it scary to be thrust into that world of the U.S. military? It was scary going. So I was accepted to the United States Naval Academy, and I ended up going to the preparatory school for a year in advance of that. So I left South Carolina, spent a year um, in at a military base in Newport, Rhode Island, where I was basically strengthening my academic foundation. And I chose to go to the Naval Academy. I've been accepted to a lot of colleges. I had full rides to a lot of colleges. But I was... Um, I had some academic degrees. I had some degrees for what we call ROTC, a military degrees. I had some athletic degrees. I was a competitive athlete. I started running track competitively when I was in sixth grade. And so I had a lot of scholarship opportunities. But the primary reason I decided to go to the Naval Academy was because I come from a very patriotic family. So my mother served in the Army. Her brother served in the Army. Her father served in the Army. He's a World War II veteran. And then I had several 
uh, family members on my, my father and my mother's side that were my peers that were going into the military as well. I'm the only one in the family that ended up going the officer route, um, but I, I enjoy the fact that uh, I could serve my country, that uh, they were going to pay me to go to school. I was very concerned because my parents didn't have a lot financially that um, they would not have to worry about me being taken care of. So they were going to pay for me to go to school. It was a full ride, a, a full college ed, uh, scholarship education. But they were paying me while I was there. And then they were offering me a career. And it was a career that I was very interested in learning more about, um, in, in part because, you know, we could serve our country at the same time where we could be traveling and seeing the world. Um, but a lot happened in that four or five years when I was getting my college education. And one of the main things that really changed the trajectory of everything was 9-11. So I am among the first class of Naval Academy graduates that graduated um, after 9-11. And so the entire time that I served in the military, for the six years I served as an officer in the United States Marine Corps, we were a country at, at war pretty much. And so I served um, during that time and that did a lot of shaping for me, not just in my faith, but also as a leader. Mm. How did your faith uh, in Jesus grow during that season, Natasha? Because you talk about being raised in a very uh, Bible-believing, Christian, faith-filled family, and yet it wasn't until you got into university that you decided that you needed that dependence on Jesus a little bit more than perhaps you had up to that point in your life. How did your faith evolve once you got thrust out into the world of formal education? Mm-hmm. So the first thing, you asked me a question earlier, like I was scared. <laughs> when, I, when I left, I was, I was black, I was a woman, I was tiny. I was a very small, um, before it's weight, person. And, and then I was going so far away from home and I didn't know when I was going to go back. And so when I think about these uh, metaphors that we get for God and, and how God shows up for us as a parent, as a loving father, um, as a protector, as a wise counsel, as the one who sustains, like all these characteristics we get from God, I had those characteristics in my parents and so my mother and my father. And the fearful thing for me was that I was going off away from home, very far away, and my mother and father were not going with me. And so um, it was just a very really honest prayer to God. When I got on the airplane, they had to roll it out. I was like, God, like, if, if, like I need you to be all those things that I heard about you. Because um, I had always been in the church. But, you know, Jesus was not Lord of my life then. And I, I, I basically communicated and, and committed to God if he would basically be those things in my life in the absence of my parents, just because they weren't physically there with me, then I would serve him. And so that's when I really became a disciple of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then I started surrounding myself with a lot of people who were also disciples of Jesus. And so I was able to be stretched in my faith. At the same time, I was experiencing a lot of the most difficult times in my life, not just for academics and training and military training, all those things were happening, but also that's the start of a lot of grief that was happening in my life as well. Uh, My mother ended up passing away uh, the first semester of my sophomore year of college. And so that really just changed the trajectory of my whole life and my whole family. And so all of that was encompassing for how I really learned how to depend on God um, when I didn't know what I was doing and when I didn't know what was ahead, when I didn't know where I was going. 
that God became an anchor for me during those uncertain times. Yeah, and I want to fast track your story a little bit. There's so many layers to your story. Of course, academic excellence and achieving greatness, being honorably discharged after a number of years of service to the, to the U.S. military. Um, but you describe the painful loss, not just of other family members, but specifically your firstborn son. Uh, during a season in your life, you describe as a lengthy wilderness experience for you. How were you able to cope with what is arguably probably the most difficult loss that anyone can experience? Yeah, I believe, in, and I've written about this quite a bit um, in my memoir, Sojourner's Truth, is that people, all people, and Christians and leaders, I think we're shaped by people and places so that when we have difficult circumstances, and so one of the things I wrote in, in my memoir is that um, God puts people in our lives to make our tragic lives bearable. And so it was among the most um, difficult losses of my life. And it was in the middle of um, a lot of grief that we were experiencing as a family. And so there was about 16 years where we lost 11 close family members. These are people that I grew up with that had a direct impact on my life that I played with. You know, they were not just all old people, some young people too. And so um, I was I was just in a, a, a long wilderness experience. And so this was one of the worst of those losses. And I think it was the women in my life that really showed up for me during that time um, that really provided comfort. So, you know, we, we read in 1 Corinthians that we are able to comfort those with the comfort that we've received from the Holy Spirit. And I felt that comfort for from the women um, in my life. And, and it's something that my husband and I, you know, we really went through um, together as well. And so I think it, it required a dependency on God, but it also gave us an opportunity to lean and depend on um, and be a source of comfort for each other. Mm. If you could sum it up in one comment, Natasha, what did you learn about God and about others during that wilderness? Because you can't help but go through one loss after another and it not refine your identity, shape your perspective of God. What can you say to that? I remember um, <laughs> shortly after I graduated seminary and we were having a similar conversations about like our mountains and valleys. and um, I made an honest confession during that time. I was like, you know, I was really, when it happened initially, um, because there's a long story behind it as well, I was really disappointed with God. I was really disappointed because I felt like um, I had done what God had asked of me and not that God owes us anything, but there's biblical principles. I mean, you know, I write about this in Exodus, like blessings for obedience and curses for consequences for disobedience. And so I felt in this case, um, I had been a, a obedient. And so you you think that, uh, you know, you get pregnant and you would have a child. That's normally the result of that. And it wasn't. So I was really disappointed. What I've experienced and what I say now, though, um, so many years later, um, especially after, you know, this is one of many wilderness experiences. I, I say to people now when they ask some of the questions, I say, allow the wilderness to do its work. And, and what I mean by that is, especially as I look at stories like Moses, I was just reading uh, through, I'm reading through studying Ruth right now for some of my doctorate work and, and reading through some other, um, just what I call leadership characters, case studies in the Bible. And what I know is that a lot of our Western thought is shaped by uh, what we perceive to be the destination. So in this case, it's getting the baby, like that's the win, a healthy baby. 
Um, but what I, I've come to learn about God is that God is very intentional and cares very much about our journey and the process of how we get to certain things. And so um, I think that going through such difficulty has made me a more um, empathetic person. Um, it's made me more patient. It's um, been humbling, right? Um, that there's something that you put your best foot forward in and, and it doesn't, you don't get the result that you want. Um, and so I think there's all these kind of character and heart shaping things that happens in our most difficult moments. And that's why I think it's important that we allow the wilderness to do its work. Mm. I love the fact that you reference letting the wilderness do its work. In your latest book, Journey to Freedom, you take the readers through an eight week Bible study of Israel's birth, enslavement, <laughs> liberation, and that wandering through the wilderness for 40 years, you know, that which was a very short distance actually between there and the promised land. The promised land. What, right. what, is the, what is the takeaway for the universal church? And I know you are especially passionate about seeing um, equality and seeing biblical justice played out in the church and racial healing come. What do we need to take from this critical piece of Israel's history that we can apply today? a lot, but if I kind of was to center in on it, I, I will kind of begin where I end the study. And so um, it was very important to me to write this Bible study as like a layperson's commentary for the whole church. So thank you for mentioning that. Um, it's not a study just for women. Um, it's a study for the whole church. And if I could take it a little a step further to say it, it's not just for men and women, but it's an intergenerational work. That's one thing I think we've lost. And um, one thing we happening in the Torah and the readings of those first Bibles of the Bible, God is very intentional in letting them know that he's the God of their ancestors, that he's the God. He presents himself to Moses at the, at the burning bush as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so I think we've really, one of the ways that we've kind of weakened, weakened ourselves as the body of Christ is that we have not been intentional in doing that intergenerational work, that intergenerational discipleship, that intergenerational community building. And we have not been intentional um, in remembering who God is and what God has already done for us. And so I think that's very, very important. And, and I think biblically what Paul presents to us, so he writes about this in 1 Corinthians, and he says that we can take warnings from Israel's history. And so um, I think there's a lot to be learned from Israel's history, but his anchoring is that Israel's greatest sin is that they forgot who God was mm. and what God had done. And so they did not depend on God in the way that they were instructed. And so he's saying to the church in Corinth, don't be like them. And he's using Christ as an anchor and as a center. He's in the same way that God guided Israel through out of their enslavement and into what was going to be the promised land for them or the land that he had promised, that um, God was their rock. You know, he's using all these same metaphors. Um, God was, um, and he said the rock was Christ. That's what Paul writes about. And so um, I think it's important that we center our faith um, on Christ and, and, and let Christ be the motivation and the inspiration for why and how we act, we, how we show up in the world to love our neighbors and to be and serve as people of justice and righteousness. Um, I think that's the biblical call when we are truly disciples of Jesus. And I think that's what Paul says us, that we can be, we can take our warnings to not 
um, forget in the way that Israel forgot, but also the encouragement is to center and place our hope and anchor our lives really on who Christ is. Um, and, and in that, he, he talks about them being baptized as well. And so he uses that metaphor for when they went through the Red Sea about what was severed. Like basically the Red Sea severed Israel's attachment, it should have, like mm-hmm. spiritually from Egypt. And he said in the same way, we can be baptized unto Christ and that the old way that we think in the old way, the things that, that are really gripping at our hearts, that we can put those things aside because um, we have been baptized in Christ. And, and because we've been baptized in Christ, the Holy Spirit makes it possible to live as God intended. Mm-hmm. Such good teaching there, Natasha. You can tell you're a doctoral student. There's just so much depth and breadth to what you bring to this conversation. I, I want to ask you, I know racial healing and biblical justice is so close to the heart of who you are. What can we do as a church to be more effective in this regard? Well, I think there's um, one thing I've learned on this journey <laughs> is that um, the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. That's the thing that gives me hope and encouragement. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world. The Holy Spirit is at work in me. The Holy Spirit is at work in other believers. And the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. And I say that because it is God's responsibility to convict the hearts of people. Um, and God does that. Um, I think, though, if I were to use Pharaoh as an example, um, we have to ask, do we have a heart that is hard or do we have a heart that's soft, um, uh, uh, receptive? Do we have ears to hear some, some writings say, do we have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the, to the church and some other metaphors? Are we blinded? You know, I think about Saul becoming Paul at Damascus Rose, that he was jealous and he was jealous and wrong, right? And so that God literally had to remove these blinders from his eyes so that he can see. And so that's really my prayer um, a lot of times is that when I'm preparing, when I'm writing or speaking or teaching, that the Holy Spirit does the work that the Holy Spirit do, and I trust God in that. And that God will give people hearts that are soft um, and receptive and ears to hear and eyes to see what it is that His Spirit is saying to the church. Because I don't have the power in and of myself to change people. Um, But I do have a conviction of the Holy Spirit that God wants us to live as united people. That's not same people. That God wants to affirm His identity in all people. And God does not want us to be ashamed or um, hateful towards people that he has created in his own image. When he has said and you know to us in Revelation that he is the God of people from every tribe, language, nation, tongue, you know, people group. And so I believe that when we um, cast our nets wide to be God in people that he's created in his image, then we actually get a better understanding of who God is. And so I really approach this work first out of my own conviction, out of who I am as a person, but also out of the desire to love people well and out of what I see in the Bible as a biblical conviction that by responding as people who are um, living united, that we bear witness to that Jesus has come and who Jesus is 
And and there is something unique and peculiar about God's people when we show up in that way in a love in, in a world that's so hateful and divided um, and so violent towards the other, however you label them in your context. And so I want to be a person who who loves well. And and I think lastly I would say about this, who tells the truth about things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think um, we have a problem. I could speak in the United States. I don't know how things are in Canada right now, but in the United States, on a, our national conversations, that we have a problem, a fundamental problem in the last few years of being people who tell the truth about our history, about our economic, you know, all of our systemic structures, our political structures, our economic structures, um, the equity that we offer people in housing and healthcare and education. And I think we have to be honest about that before we can say, okay, what responsibilities does the church have to respond as people who are leading because of our convictions of what we see in the Bible and the work of the Holy Spirit at work in us? Amen to all of that. That is powerful, Natasha. And the the two things that I pulled from that is our need to stand unified and God's desire to affirm all people and standing in the gap for those that are oppressed, those that are discriminated against, persecuted, marginalized, trafficked, whatever the case may be, is paramount to every Christian's walk. Thank you so much for our time shared together today, folks. the, The book, the devotional is called Journey to Freedom. Um, The great news is that in Christ, we are all free, and uh, he's come to set us free. Thank you, Natasha, for being such a passionate voice in this very important conversation. God bless you, and I can't wait to talk to you again. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Will you donate two hours of your time? Crossroads Prayer Center is seeking people with a heart willing to join in the amazing work God is doing through prayer. Providing over 1,300 prayer interactions daily, Crossroads Prayer Partners speak biblical truth and words of life over people's needs. Join in God's transforming work through prayer and enrich your faith. Learn more at crossroads.ca slash prayervolunteer. Well, I just loved my conversation with Natasha, and one thing that really stood out to me, um, when I asked her about where things are at with the church and, and how are we doing as a church collectively, where, you know, racial injustice is concerned. And she said, the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. She said, and it's God's responsibility to convict hearts. And he does that. And that was such an encouragement to me. It might sound harsh at first, you know, God's convicting us of racial injustice and discrimination, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit to do that and to know that he is doing that. And people's lives are changing and we are seeing a greater appreciation and love and celebration for people of different colors and different traditions and different uh, ethnicities than we are is such a beautiful picture of what God wants for his people. That is what heaven's going to be like, folks. It's going to be a group of every tribe, every color, every race coming together and worshiping Jesus because he loves us all, and he's created us all in his image, beautifully, fearfully, and wonderfully made, as the Bible says. And so who are we to devalue or to try and, and, and rank uh, certain people groups over others? That is absolutely ridiculous, and I know that's not the, the, the father heart of God. So 
Where do we go from here? Well, we need to continue to speak truth and love. We need to continue to challenge, um, you know, uh, our politicians, those in leadership over us, our church leaders. We need to, in love, challenge them so that we make sure that we are living out this great commandment to love God and to love people without prejudice, without discrimination. And wherever we see that, truth in love will always win, my friend. And I think that's what Natasha is encouraging us to do, um, that we need to stand in the gap for the oppressed. You know, that's Jesus came so that we could have life and have it everlasting and have it to the full. Jesus came for the underdog. Jesus came for the one that was perhaps... Um, less than than popular in their culture in that time. You look at Jesus, you know, um, going to the places where others would not go, including the Pharisees and those high-ranking religious leaders. Jesus went to those others that they would not visit, and Jesus loved on them and wrapped his arms around them and reminded them who they were and whose they were. So, folks, The reminder today is that there's freedom in Christ for all of us. And the reminder is that we need to love ferociously as Jesus taught us to love. Um, We just want you to know that, hey, if you're in a position in life or you don't necessarily feel love, you feel perhaps like you're a victim of discrimination, you feel like there there are some forces coming up against you in your workplace, um, in your place of worship, dare I say, I hope that's not the case, but you want someone to pray with you, I can promise you that our prayer partners are loving. You won't get a hint of of discrimination in their voice. It will be without judgment. It will only be uh, with your best interest and the heart of Christ uh, driving them and fueling them in your conversation. So call them, 1-866-273-4444. They would love to pray with you, share with you the love of Jesus, introduce you to Jesus if you want to ask Jesus into your heart and start a journey with him. They would love to do that and uh, just encourage you in your faith journey and remind you that you are seen, that you are heard, that you are loved, and that we all need to do better, better as the body of Christ to live out that truth. Well, you've been listening to the Huntley Street Podcast with Mark Masry. So uh, honored and privileged to be able to come into your headphones or wherever it is you're listening to us on and just share the good news of Jesus and share some of these exciting interviews of people that we get to interview day after day and hear their stories and just hear real life examples of how the power of Jesus can transform a life. God bless you until the next time. This is Mark signing off. Thank you for your ongoing support of Crossroads a supporter-funded nonprofit organization and member of the Canadian Centre of Christian Charities. Thanks to faithful people like you, we are able to continue producing 100 Huntley Street. You can write to Crossroads, P.O. Box 5100, Burlington, Ontario, L7R4M2, or visit crossroads.ca to learn more about our programs.